Welcome to the Money Better Podcast, brought to you by Union Bank and Trust in Lincoln, Nebraska. Get ready for an authentic conversation about how to do money better by making financial decisions that are right for you. Money doesn't have to be a scary topic anymore. Instead, let's get real about the lessons others have learned, then find ways to use those experiences to get it right. I'm your host, Caitlin Moore. Let's chat. Welcome everyone to the Money Better Podcast. This is episode four, and we are talking today about women in the work field. We're going to be hitting on a lot of components of what that looks like. And today we have Betsy Perez. She is the vice president of marketing at UBT. She has nearly 25 years experience within the field. 15 of those include leading and managing teams. She's passionate about women's issues, especially women in the workplace. So thank you, Betsy, for being with us today. I'm very excited to have this chat with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, how you got there? Absolutely. As you mentioned, I head up the marketing team at UBT. I have been fortunate and have always been in the field of either advertising or marketing. I started out as a graphic designer right after college. I did that for quite a while, probably about the first 10 years of my career. Ended up in a culture where I really admired management and leadership and decided that was where I wanted to go. Finally got an opportunity after a lot of asking for it to start leading a team. Um, And then everything just kind of took off from there. I came back to Omaha. I was at an agency for almost 10 years as their creative director and eventually their chief creative officer. After that, I went to Omaha Steak, um, was there for about three years before I found this position at UBT, where I couldn't be happier. Well, we are so happy to have you there. Let's talk about men and women in the business world. What is it looking like today? I know that it's changed so much even over the past 25 years, um, but what does it look like today for women in the the corporate world? Well, I think fortunately, um, there are more and more women in leadership positions, as you mentioned. We still have a ways to go when it comes to having a better balance of female versus male Mm. CEOs. We're fortunate at UBT to be female-led in the CEO position. So there's still room to grow. There's still a lot of room to grow when it comes to boards, especially like on publicly traded companies. There's not as many women in those positions. And so I know we're all working on it, but that's kind of where we're at. You know, a lot of other factors at play here, there's still the gender pay gap that we're all focused on, or at least I'm focused on and think about. There's the pandemic now, which has, from an economic standpoint, been coined as a she session, meaning it has disproportionately impacted women. And a lot of women have left the workforce, especially women of color have been impacted because they have lost their jobs at higher rates than white men and women. And so it'll be interesting to just see how that turns out. And if women start returning to the workforce after the pandemic, or if it has more of a long-term effect just on our economy in general. Why do you think that is? So the research I've read on it thus far, and I think all of those statistics are still being gathered, if you Mm -hmm. will. But what I've seen is some of the industries that have had been most impacted have been industries where women have a higher proportion, like the hospitality industry and the travel industry, for example. Another reason is, as you mentioned, we've fallen maybe into some of those traditional gender roles. For example, in September, 865,000 women left the workforce. It just happened to coincide with the startup of a lot of remote schooling. Mm -hmm. And so there's theories that that has happened. I don't think we know for sure, honestly. 
but there are probably a considerable amount of assumptions that might likely be mm-hmm. right with that. That's interesting. Correct. Okay. So we have men and women in the workplace and it is disproportionate at this point. What are some reasons that you believe, or you have seen that there is a difference? Well, I mean, I think it's very, it's very rooted in culture 50 years ago, which wasn't that long ago there just were hardly any women in the workforce. Mm -hmm. That has really changed. I mean, we have made so much progress just culturally Mm -hmm. and in the United States on more and more women being part of the workforce. And then I think there's been a lot of progress made on more women opting to stay in, um, or if they do decide to stay home with their children and raise their children, a lot of women get back into the workforce Mm -hmm. later. So there's a lot of positive trends happening with women at work and being just a greater force. I think because it it has taken a while to evolve, those it's taken a while for women to break into leadership or break into roles, especially in industries that have been more male dominated. Mm -hmm. Um, Financial services is one of those. And a lot, there's a lot more women taking on leadership roles in financial services companies, but there are also sectors where there it's more female dominated. Education is a good example Mm -hmm. for where there's more women. Nursing is an example where there's more women than men. I think that just goes to show just how rooted all of this is in history. I'm glad you You brought this up. I was having a conversation with somebody this weekend about this topic and he is a male in the education world. And we were talking about gender just roles within that because it is such a, a female dominated industry. And he was saying that with educators, women work excessively hard because they want to be seen because there's so many of them, they have to stand out. But if you're a male it, as an educator, you will stand out no matter what. That's interesting. All My ex-husband is an, a registered nurse mm-hmm. and he had some similar experiences. He's now in leadership, but mm-hmm. spent a lot of time feeling sort of like the minority and like yes. the only guy. Uh-huh. But then as he started to move up, that was, he did stand out more or he felt like he was making progress more quickly than yes. some of his peers who were female. We used to talk about that. Yeah. It was just, it was really interesting and timely to hear from a male perspective. So what other culture things do you see or notice? So I have been in cultures that were very female dominated, where most of the leaders were women and there were a lot of women around. I've been in cultures that are, were male dominated at the different companies I've worked for. I've been in cultures that have had more of a balance. Mm -hmm. And I, in my experience, a balance is always best and that Mm -hmm. we need, there's men and women do think differently in general and making some stereotypes, but They do approach situations differently, but all those perspectives are needed. And based on my experiences, I've seen it go bad when one gender dominates either way from a culture perspective at work. I'm a strong believer of that's part of diversity and inclusion is making sure there's a good gender balance. Obviously, we all need to keep working towards um, the balance of just having more voices at the table and more experiences Mm -hmm. from an ethnicity standpoint. From a gender standpoint, it's important too. Something I work at or think about um, because marketing is a fairly female dominated okay. department at UBT mm-hmm. and in other er- other companies I've been in as well. And so I think it's important to be working toward keeping that balance of men and women um, in our, even in our team, just so that we keep 
hearing multiple voices and multiple multiple perspectives, it helps mm-hmm. us make great decisions. Kind of switching gears here, especially in a cultural situation. You know, 50 years ago, you agreed women just really weren't in the corporate world. And so we still have a lot of, I would say, generational gaps between there's a generation out there that is predominantly male in the workforce. And then kind of the younger generations are a mixed bag or a lot more female. You are saying a good balance of male and female is the best way to go. We all bring something to the table. But what if you work in an industry or or an office where the, the seats at the round table are male, but you want to get there, but it is, mm-hmm. it's, it could be quite intimidating to be a new voice, a female voice. So how do women kind of find their roles, ask for things that they want, like raises or changes in positions, things like that without the intimidation mm-hmm. factor? Well, that's a big question. I don't know that's- if I have all the answers, but I will have, I have opinions. In general, whether you have a female dominated culture, male dominated culture, or a good balance, women have a hard time asking for raises. Well, I know there's a lot of statistics out there about women are less likely to do it because they feel someone should just notice the value they're adding and give them a raise Mm, because of it. There's also a lot data about when women do ask for raises, they do get more money. They're twice as likely to get a raise than women who don't ask for it. So it's really important. You know, if you feel like that you've earned this raise or you're adding the value or should be making more money, mm-hmm. um, it's important to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. I think there's the, a few tips I would have for women that are considering doing this is that you should take some act would be okay. the first thing. Like okay. if you're considering it, and you have this nudge in your brain, you should start doing some research. By research, I mean, start learning about your company's policies regarding pay. So if you're at a large enough organization, usually they have pay bands or pay ranges, and you can start to find out where you're at within that, Mm -hmm. you know, where that falls in line with your responsibilities, the years you've been there. You can also start doing some external research on like a payscale.com or a salary.com and finding out what positions in your geographic area are valued at. And then the other thing that I love to encourage women and really everybody to do is I think we need to let go of the shame of talking about salary and how much money we make. And if people would start talking about it more, I think that gender pay gap, even though there's been progress made mm-hmm. on it, might pick up even more quickly because it's been taboo forever to talk about your salary, but it's not. It's not against the law. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. Okay. People can talk about how much money they make to each other and it's good data. Start talking to friends outside of your company. Start talking to your network about it mm-hmm. because that's part of that external data that you can gather for like, understanding where you're at for your position. And once you kind of have understood that, I think you have to get real with yourself about your performance. Just doing that gut check of like, am I meeting all of my responsibilities? Am I going above and beyond? Have I made myself the obvious choice to get a promotion or a raise? Mm -hmm. Um, And then you need to kind of get up the bravery or the courage to go (laughs) ask for it. (laughs) That's the hard part, right? Mm -hmm. But just like everything else, practice is key, you know, role playing it out. I would say that you should go in and make the first offer. Um, There's data out there that in one study I saw on leanin.org said that um, women who make the first offer, so they aim high and ask for what they want. Here's what I want from a money perspective, from a flexibility perspective, from a Mm -hmm. benefits perspective. They get up to 30% more than women that don't make the first offer. 
Wow. Okay. Also asking for what you want all at once can help instead of trying to piecemeal it together and say, I want to raise. And then they say, okay, well, we can't give you that much. And then you say, well, what about more time off? You just ask for the whole thing at once. Like, here's what I really want and need Mm -hmm. and feel is justified for the value I'm adding. Mm -hmm. I think the business case is also important. So sharing the data you've found, working with your boss to help he or she understand why this is a good decision for the company and not just good for you. So that's, that's kind of what I would recommend. And then going in and remembering why you're asking for it. Like a lot of women get in this sort of analysis paralysis of like, I shouldn't ask for more. I'm being greedy. And really your why probably isn't greedy. It's because you want to better yourself for the future, better your family for the future, or you have some goals and dreams financially or that you're shooting for, or maybe they're just career goals related. Those are not bad whys. So remembering your why is just not all about that bottom line. It's also mm-hmm. about making a better life for yourself. Yeah. And that, that's great. That's what people want. Yeah. I love that. And I want to ask you in a leadership position and having been in a leadership position for a while, have you had a lot of women that, that are that poignant? when they're asking for a raise? Have you experienced that? And like, what is that like to be on the other side? Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of men and women, both on, and from mm-hmm. both genders, ask for things that confidently. And one thing I have learned a lot in leadership and management positions, one of the things that I'm a big fan of is always being really honest with people all along the way about where they're at performance-wise, mm-hmm. so that if someone comes and asks for something, and it's, they're not ready for it, maybe, whether it's a promotion sure. or a raise, or I want to see their performance improve before they get that raise, that we're, we're already on the same page. Mm-hmm. Because there's I as a manager, I don't want to be surprising anyone if they come and ask confidently for a raise. I don't want to be like, oh, well, I don't think you're doing that well. Like, that shouldn't be the first moment they oh, hear that. I have a story for that. <laughs> and do. it really set the stage for a lot of just fear that I have now. Um, I was at a company in social services for a long time, and we would do year reviews. My boss and I got along really well. We're, we worked very hard together, but he had this really bad habit of telling you the things that you needed to hear in your review. So it was Mm -hmm. performance things like five months ago, you did this, but it hasn't been fixed. And so I would get these reviews and he would point out things that were so old that he never came to talk to me about. And then my raise was affected. My ability to apply for a higher position was affected because the only thing HR and leadership saw was this was in my review. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. the only one, but it was very damaging. And I remember going to him several times throughout my time there and going, this isn't fair. You you can't hold me to something that happened six months ago when I could have easily fixed it. This this would have been a much better conversation. And you would think in the long run, the ability to turn things around, to take the feedback, to move forward from that would be very telling by the time you get to your performance review. Well, and I, I've had similar experiences too. I, I mentioned early the company where I was inspired to get into management and leadership. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a company where it was the first time I experienced honest and real feedback. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this is amazing because now Mm -hmm. I can fix these things I'm doing wrong. Like no one had told me and they weren't, you know, career hindering moves, but they made me better. Yeah. And So like, that's kind of where I picked mm-hmm. that up. And I think it's probably become kind of a best practice thing from a leadership mm-hmm. standpoint. I also like to encourage people, women and men to be like, have honest conversations. Like 
that about their money and mm-hmm. or their salary and their compensation package and where they're at. Like, let's, let's talk about it a couple times a year. So I understand if you're happy or if you're thinking, yes. you know, you want to make more money and we can map out plans for that together. So it isn't this big prize moment of like, I'm going to go in and ask for a raise. Mm-hmm. It is a hard situation. Now, not every culture and team is set up like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just got to do that because you want to try and get what you want. You know, mm-hmm. no one gets fired for asking for a raise or asking for more. That's good. You might get told no, but that's okay. You can handle that, yeah. but you're not, you're not going to get fired because you're asking for more. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> no one gets fired for asking <laughs> for a raise. So I'm, I've become very intimidated because of my past experiences that I'm trying to rise above. And I feel like my supervisor and you just creating this culture that I've been at least vocal about it. And I feel like that's the first step is being vocal about intimidation. But um, I'm very intimidated by women in the workplace that have leadership positions um, because I want it so bad, but Mm -hmm. I was burned so bad where I came from. What I'm hearing you say, and I'm really appreciating what you're saying is if we just kind of break the ice and have more of these conversations, it becomes such a natural conversation rather than this big intimidating thing that we do once a year, that rejection Mm -hmm. might be on the other side of that, which is terrifying when you're intimidated. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think too, like, it's just so key to build those relationships with your supervisor or your boss Mm -hmm. so that you can, you can talk about things, whatever they might be, you know, whether it's about money or raise or promotion, which is kind of the topic we're on right now, or if it's just different career things, like things you want to get involved with at work or Mm -hmm. projects related, or if you're having problems with a coworker, you need to be able to work through these things with your supervisor. Well, I want to shift over to kind of our last topic, which is how do you prepare young women who are career driven to get in a leadership role such as yours or just keep moving forward? Well, I think my advice would be one, just believing in yourself and knowing, you know, really working on that self-confidence. When you get there, pushing down that imposter syndrome that many of us feel when we get into a new position, regardless of its leadership or just a job we've really wanted and dreamt about, um, because we're all making it up. The top CEOs of the country, men and women, we're all making it up as we go. And sometimes we succeed and sometimes we don't. So there's no reason not to go for it because everyone is just making it up as they go. Now, my other advice would be, I'm also very ambitious. And so once I realized, you know, I wanted to be in leadership, I was all over my bosses about like, I want to be, I was headed for a managing art director role was what it was called at the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be that they would give me my list of goals of how to be that. And then two or three weeks later, I'd be like, check. I checked everything (laughs) off the list that you wanted me to do. And they were like, okay, here's another list of goals. And I would come back and check it off really quickly. And I started to get really frustrated when really what they should have said to me is like, you just need more experiences. Like it's not your age. It's not your experience. You need to do these six goals like 25 times so that Mm. you're an expert at how to do this, not just once, you know, understand that you, you do need experiences if you're a major go-getter. I think the other thing that I've realized that I would tell young women is don't think you have to do it all on your own. You know, you don't have to be good at everything. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things you'll have to do as a leader is leverage the talents of your team. Mm. And so it's okay to collaborate. It's okay to help each other. Like you're not in a competition with the person in the Mm -hmm. cube next to you. Mm -hmm. You can work together and leverage each other's strengths. And that's just going to demonstrate for that you're ready for more or ready for leadership. 
Gotcha. That's so good. Where were you like 10 years ago in my life? (laughs) Well, I'm here now. (laughs) I am kind of the one that you just described like early on, you just get so excited about what you're doing. You're like, I just want to do more and more and more. What boxes do I have to check Mm -hmm. to get there? When all, when in reality, it's just be for a second, like be really good at what you do for a little while. It's not that you're not eligible Mm -hmm. for advancement. It's like, we just want to see that you can keep this up. And that's something that even my supervisor says a lot. She's like, I love your go-getter attitude, but you got to be for a a second and let us help you get there. All right, Betsy, thank you so much for being with us today. I, I really appreciate the way that you run your team. I'm not just saying that I really do. It's something very different than I'm used to. And I feel like culturally you're cutting through some barriers that will have an outstanding effect. So thank you so much for being with us today Aww. on Money Better. Well, thanks for having me. This yeah. has been great. These are the words we say. This is a In each Money Better episode, we highlight a community partner that is doing money better. Whether it is a nonprofit, a customer, or an expert in the field, our goal is to learn from their strengths and introduce you to resources that can help you do money better too. Featuring these people and organizations through our podcast is just a small part of UBT's larger mission to elevate the communities we serve. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the community partner segment of Money Better, episode four. We are here with Steph Anderson. She's the vice president of human resources at Meridian. Steph directs all aspects of human resources management and learning and development, including recruitment, benefit management, employee training, and onboarding at Meridian. She has her master's degree in organizational leadership from Drury. She graduated with her bachelor's degree in psychology from Nebraska Wesleyan. So thank you, Steph, for being on Money Better today. We're so thankful that you're here. Thank you, Caitlin. I'm very excited to be here with you today. Yeah. So I just want to chat about what you do. So human resources, um, on episode three, we actually talked to a human resource representative and I know that that's a, you know, it's a lot, but what do you specifically do at Meridian within, um, that department? As you mentioned, I work at Meridian clinical research and I'm really overseeing all of the aspects kind of related to employee experience with our organization. So if you look at the A to Z life cycle of an employee, that's everything from recruiting employees, helping us determine the culture and and what kind of employees might fit, um, evaluating our positions, uh, you know, creating job descriptions, Mm -hmm. which isn't always the most glamorous, (laughs) but overseeing benefits, compensation. Um, We're looking at how to engage and retain employees And, you know, then some other mundane stuff, like, you know, what happens when an employee decides to move on or move up Mm. or exit the organization, that kind of thing. Um, One of the most exciting, you know, new parts of my job this year, I've overseen training in the past, but we've decided to make a really big investment in learning development. So we'll build out a big L&D department this year too. And that'll um, kind of be housed under the HR realm. Awesome. So your focus is on everyone within the company, not necessarily looking yep. out, but it's the experience of people there, which is great. Cause you, yeah, you get the yep, opportunity exactly. to learn people and learn the employees and kind of walk with them in their employment there. Exactly. And the company like ours, where, you know, we don't, we don't have a product, we conduct clinical research. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not selling something. We don't have a warehouse full of stuff. It's a service mm-hmm. that we're providing and our employees are our most important assets. So, yes. Um, it, we kind of touch every, every part of, 
the business outcome, so to speak. How long have you been there and how many jobs have you had within the company? So I started with Meridian in September of 2019. So it hasn't been incredibly long. Um, I came in really to focus on uh, kind of the recruitment and engagement side within that was September and January I moved into overseeing the department. So it was okay. a pretty quick shift mm-hmm. uh, into more of a kind of strategic capacity. I want to talk just what we've been talking about today um, within this podcast is just women in the professional world and just highlighting women who have done really well within their company. And I, I just really want to know how, how you got there, what, what it took to get there. I love to hear about just adversity and overcoming adversity. Tell me about what you had in mind when you started out. Um, That's a great question. I laugh as you ask me that because (laughs) I had no idea this is where I was going to end up. Um, I didn't even know, even going through undergrad, I didn't really understand that human resources was a career. Um, Mm -hmm. What I knew initially is that I really love people and I really love to watch people grow. And so I was just attracted to any opportunity to learn more about that and impact in that way. Um, So I went to undergrad for psychology and then was not sure if I wanted to go be a counselor, what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of those things require grad school, which is Mm -hmm. a big investment. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, let me just go see if I can get a job that pays pretty well. And if that does it for me. So I took my securities licenses and I became a financial advisor. (laughs) Oh, okay. Really went a different direction. Yeah. Um, but what I realized in that position was that the thing that I loved the most, I was very interested in the financial aspect, but mm-hmm. what I loved the most was working with individuals, understanding yeah. what was important to them, their financial situation and helping provide solutions that was going to work for them. Yes. So I was doing that. And, uh, in the meantime, I had played uh, soccer at Westland and mm-hmm. my former coach had said, Hey, would you want to come back and coach soccer with us part-time? And I thought, sure. So I went back in for two years as I was uh, working in finance, was just coaching soccer part-time and realized I really love that too. I really love training (laughs) and helping people grow through this Mm -hmm. cool, you know, tool that is a sport that prompted me to pursue coaching full-time. So then I went to go uh, pursue a graduate assistant position. And so I went to Drury And one of the master's programs that they had available was Mm -hmm. organizational leadership and change. A lot about company culture or organizational culture, I should say. And so I just took that thinking, oh, I'll be able to apply this in coaching. So then I went and became a full-time soccer coach um, and worked as an assistant at a a school called Bucknell in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. then became a head coach at another school called Bloomsburg in Pennsylvania. And then as it happens, family circumstances made it challenging to coach full-time. And then I was scrambling to try to figure out Mm. what to do next. Um, So I took kind of a step back in my career, went into healthcare thinking, well, you know, healthcare is not going to go anywhere. So let me Mm -hmm. just learn about this. And then moved back to Nebraska and um, was (laughs) kind of struggling again with how do I, you know, how do I build this career now in a new location? Mm -hmm. And um, I fortunately had someone reach out to me and say, you know, you've done a lot of recruiting and coaching. Mm. What would you think about being a corporate recruiter? I thought, well, gosh, that's a great idea. So I I started doing that, which then at the company I was with ALN medical management turned into an HR manager position and then HR director position. Okay. That really was what you know, kind of launched me into HR. You've done a lot. You've done, you've gone very different directions. 
to get where you all are. All over the place. Which, yeah. All over the place. Which I love that because it's, I think there's a strong message in that, of, especially for folks just coming out of college or something like what you may think you want to do is may not be where you end up. Well, with all of those types of jobs, I mean, you've been in different career fields and different locations. What kind of adversity have you felt as a woman? Was there any sort of setbacks or any adversity that came along the way? Up until now, had primarily worked in male-dominated industries. So when I was working in the financial industry in my office, for at the time there was probably oh, eight other financial advisors, I was the only woman. So it was, it was just different. I would say Mm -hmm. um, at times I could feel that there was maybe resistance for people to understand if, did I know what I was talking about? Cause it was so unusual. Like a client, like a client would have some resistance. Okay. And I was also 21. So that could have been part of it. You know, I don't, I don't know that I could boil this down to a gender difference or a personality Mm -hmm. difference, but you know, one of the skills that I saw in myself and I see in a lot of other women is uh, strong listening skills Mm -hmm. and kind of critical thinking skills. And so what became initially, or what I felt initially as a challenge, I think ended up actually being a differentiator for me Mm -hmm. because the way that I approached the problems and, you know, creating solutions for folks didn't feel the same as what they had felt with maybe some other people. So initially it felt, I felt some resistance, but then, you know, in that business, so much of it is word of mouth and getting Mm -hmm. referrals. And when people had a good experience with me, that turned into more business. So uh, it ended up being really positive. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate to have a lot of support from my boss, who was a male, who was very willing to teach me and, you know, help me grow. And I did have a really good support system there that, that helped me grow. Um, That seems to be key. We could still have people on our side, regardless, just saying, eh, don't let it bother you. Like you're good at what you do. And that's so key. I've had personal experience with that where it was a gender issue, but I had a male boss that was like, just, we're going to forget about this. And and it's so important that there's those people out there. I'm a lot like you where I love people and I love getting to know them. And so I think when you get to be known, there's something that adversity just goes away. You can attack it a little bit better when you're known and people are, are fighting for you on that end too. Yeah. It was totally a shaping experience. And then coaching came, came with a whole nother, um, set of issues. So I was fortunate to get opportunities early on and I was coaching women. um, And in that field, one of the other challenges was it's a very, uh, you've got to travel a lot. You work weird hours, you work Mm -hmm. on the weekends, evenings. And so one of those challenges became what happens when you have a family and we still have, you know, at least in, you know, kind of heterosexual couples, Mm -hmm. a strong propensity for women to take on more of the child bearing role yep. that they had a tough time staying in the, uh, sure. in coaching if they had kids. So okay. there's all sorts of gender night dynamics that were coming into play that made it challenging for people like me or, or others like me to uh, find success or move mm-hmm. up or um, take on new challenges or even stay in the industry. Do you think that's still happening? Oh yeah. I mean, certainly in coaching, I think it's definitely still happening and there's lots of resources going into trying to support 
coaches, but I mean, it's, okay. it's tough, but even seeing the data come out of what's happened through this pandemic, where okay. you know, you've got daycares closing and that sort of thing, and who's going to stay home yeah. with mm-hmm. the kids, where you're seeing um, more women out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. and a decline. Therefore, if, if you've been out of the workforce, you didn't get your raise. Mm-hmm. If you're out of the workforce for a year or two years now, and you didn't get your thre- 3% or your 5% mm-hmm. raise, the effects you're going to feel on that, even if you get back into the workforce by the time you retire, it creates a substantial wage gap later on. Sure. Any other adversity that you have felt in your career? Probably in the first 10 or so years of my career, I think I was just thankful for any job and any amount of money that I would be paid, Mm -hmm. um, any opportunity to learn and grow and make an impact. And then, you know, I hit this point where I realized and felt more confident that, okay, I'm bringing something to the table here Mm -hmm. too. And I need to make sure that I am knowledgeable about what my value is in the market. So I started researching what does a person in my kind of a position make? How does the size of my company impact that? How does my years of experience, how did my education impact that? Where does, how does my geographic location impact that? And so I really started to educate myself about what I was worth. And that changed a lot. At the end of the day, I always want to be impactful with every company I'm at. Sometimes you do have to move companies in order to get a raise and get where you need to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big advocate of going to, if you're in a job, going to apply to 10 more to get your best you know, offer and mm-hmm. then hit companies against each other. I'm not suggesting that at all. I started to become credible enough in, in my industry mm-hmm. that I started getting approached by other companies. And then that gave me a lot of information information about what is fair market wage. I saw my my income grow substantially over the course of about five years, mm-hmm. where if I had not been knowledgeable and not been willing to make moves when it was necessary or not been able to have a conversation about, here's where I want to go. How do I get there? And I know it's not yes. just as simple as me asking something from you. I've got it. I it's mutual. How do how do we get the most out of my time with you? And yes. how is it the most fair? Um, I want to hone in on this because mm-hmm. this is what we have talked about with Betsy on earlier part of this podcast is number one, how do you have these hard conversations with a company? I mean, you're telling me, you know, your worth at this point, you've been in this industry long enough to know, I know my value. I know what I'm good at. I have confidence in that. I'm secure in that. Now I just need to like kind of catch up to where the rest of the world is as far as your pay, maybe your title, things like that. And so there's hard conversations going on, which can be extremely intimidating, especially for women. So tell me about having hard conversations. The conversation can be the hardest part and it doesn't Mm -hmm. need to be. It's just my personality to go in. The more I prepare, it's like studying for a test. The more I've studied, the more confident I feel to do that. But the conversation is just so critical and they do get easier Mm -hmm. with time. Having the the first one is the hardest. I think the first conversation that I had about money would have been when I was in like my first HR manager position. And it just so happened that I really had been approached about another job that paid more. So in a way that made it easier for me, I would love to say I was more courageous and I just walked in and asked for a raise one day, but that's not what happened. Um, So this made it a little bit easier for me in the sense where I could just say, I didn't go seeking this. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. I love the company, but this was presented. And I want to talk to you about this because I trust you and you're my advisor. You're my mentor. Can we talk through this? So that loyalty kind of played in, in your benefit too, because you liked being there. Yeah, I did like being there. And so I think the nature of being able to present it that way, and I'm sure there's a way to kind of manufacture that in in a lot Mm -hmm. of different 
approaches. Mm -hmm. But what made that conversation go well, I think for both parties was that it wasn't adversarial. That scenario allowed us to come together and just say, well, let's look at this. Mm -hmm. You know, what is fair? Have, you know, as, as a company, have we done our research to make sure you're paid fairly? Mm -hmm. I don't think we have, we're going to go do that now. So that helped, you know, I think that there's some lessons to glean from that. If you were to, for example, do your research, you don't have another job offer and you go, you know, I've checked about five different sources, credible sources that are telling me I'm making $20 an hour and I ought to be making 25 and Mm -hmm. we got a big gap Mm -hmm. here. That conversation, I wouldn't recommend walking into that and going, I am so angry. I can't believe you undervalue me so much. Yeah. Defensively. (laughs) I'm going to fight for my rights right now. (laughs) But I think to say, Hey, it's just like with anything you need at least two positives along with the the tough critical feedback for that conversation to go Mm -hmm. well. But to say, I looked at this, this is kind of where I think I should be and why, and can we talk about this? Mm-hmm. And to sort of lead into it with that is, is more of the approach that I've taken mm-hmm. subsequently when I felt sure. like there was maybe a little bit of a gap that needed to be closed. Obviously I'm overseeing benefits and compensation mm-hmm. among other things for companies over many years now. I've had folks come in and and say that to me. Now, hopefully in those situations, you know, we ought to have been giving ongoing feedback. So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a surprise if I've got, if I've got an issue with your performance, Mm -hmm. this shouldn't be the first that you're hearing about it. I mean, there's been situations where companies go through successful quarters and years and not so successful quarters and years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer might be, I agree, you need more. And we are not in a financial position to do that, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to book time on our calendar and we're going to relook at this And as soon as we get our financials mm-hmm. next, you know, month. Yeah. So I'm hearing you say, if I'm a, if I'm coming to you, cause I feel like I'm mm-hmm. underpaid at this point, doing my research is a really good idea, but also don't expect that just because, you know, other companies are paying more that you're going to get this increase. It might be a um, performance issue. It might be the financials of the company that just can't do it. So coming in with an open mind, if there may be a really valid reason as to why you are not receiving that, those dollars, and maybe you'll have to kick it up a notch just to, to get that. Um, but you have to kind of be open-minded to what is on the other end of that conversation. Yeah. And there's all sorts of factors, right? You know, every company has got a little bit different philosophy about mm-hmm. compensation. So yes, to your point, being open-minded that compensation isn't as simple as dollar per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other forms of compensation, um, that you may not be yeah. factoring in. We talked about that in episode three, um, just all about how to, to think about your benefits package as part of your salary. I'm glad to hear that from you because we're, we're getting all that validated <laughs> that it was really yeah. good information. Um, yeah. how do you support others in their drive to move forward? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's one of my most favorite mm-hmm. things to do is help people grow. Sometimes it can happen within our organization. Sometimes it can't. I think the most important thing to do is to find an advocate within your organization Mm. who can help you that could maybe it's your 
HR person, maybe it's your supervisor, maybe it's just another person that you've met who you really trust, who's in kind of a leadership role. There's a lot of people within different companies, regardless of the culture or the structure that can help you get to the same place. That makes more sense. Cause I feel like just having a conversation blindly with, with some, with a manager, higher position to say, you know, I just don't want the next step, but I want more. I'm so intimidated by looking like I don't want to be there when really I do. And so it's, it's how do I say this? How do I get my point across to not say that I hate my job? It's that I love my job so much that I want more influence with my job. Um, so you add all these different adversities to it and it still feels very intimidating to me to say, Hey, somebody tell me what the next move is. Cause I don't want to stay here too long because <laughs> yeah. I'm such well, a move know- forward person. <laughs> What's funny is even, even the way that you described it in talking to me of that shift of saying, Hey, what's the next step? I'm not happy to, Mm -hmm. Hey, I love my job. And I just want to find what is that next step for impact look like for me? Yes. That's going to sound really different to the listener. That's good to hear. Cause that's, that's the approach that I had to learn with how to say that with my current boss was it's, it's not that I want a better title. I mean, sure. I want a better title. I want more money. I think that's what we all want, but really I want my impact to be greater. And that comes with a higher position and maybe a staff or something like that. And so, but it's, it's intimidating to even try to form that conversation because I never want someone to look at me and go, well, get out. If you don't want to be here, get out. Yeah. And that's, you know, those things are real, you know, Mm -hmm. these are, I've been fortunate to have really good experiences and that's not to discount that people have had bad experiences mm-hmm. and every, I may not have a good one the next time I mm-hmm. have it, but sure. you know, those, those can be scary, but always like trying to take a positive approach. And I think the other, the other thing when it typically doesn't go well is when someone is at the end of their rope and they're mm-hmm. so upset, you know, they can't stand being, they can't imagine being in their position for one more day, or they're so pushed to that limit. Okay. It, human nature, when you go in at that point, there's going to be a lot more angst. I think of the word desperate, like, please, please Mm -hmm. move me out of here. (laughs) Right. That's tougher, right? Because it might not fit the business needs. But if you're having that, you know, six months or a year or multiple years ahead Mm -hmm. of just trying to kind of forecast what your career looks like to say, Mm -hmm. maybe it's at your review, your standard review time or something Mm -hmm. like that, where you say, Hey, you know, I want to look forward a year. I want to look forward two years. And these are the kind of things that I'm interested Mm -hmm. in. How do I get there? I think having those proactively, it's a much higher likelihood that you're going to have the outcome that you want. I think that's easy advice for someone to be proactive about it. Don't wait until last minute when you, when you just simply want out, because you're not going to be hurt the same way as someone who's saying, my drive says I want more. I want something different. It's not that I'm desperate to get out. And maybe you are, but in a totally different way, it's because it's a good thing, not a bad thing of where you're at. So that's, that's super helpful. I appreciate that, especially from somebody in a high position within their company that would still honor someone to, to come to them and say, I'm just looking for more. How do you think women lead differently? So I'm always hesitant to you know, completely pigeonhole characteristics of genders, because you can see some differences, but every person is so different in the way that they lead. But, you know, at Meridian, this is the first organization where I've worked that is predominantly female. Um, Like when we talk about introducing diversity in our organization, Mm -hmm. it's like, we got to hire a guy, I think, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's that's odd. Yeah. That's the exception (laughs) to the rule for sure. 
It does not happen often, but what I've seen in really strong female leaders is a level-headedness, a willingness to really listen and collaborate. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen all these traits in strong male leaders too, mm-hmm. but sort of a desire to care for their employees and help them grow. You know, I think just mm-hmm. even that, that strong listening component of like, come in, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do I support you in these things? Some of these female leaders really leading authentically and from Mm -hmm. their heart and just putting so much care into the support of their employees. And I've been really fortunate to see some really, really strong and work closely with some strong female leaders, especially in my current organization. Yeah. To close out, I want to hear a trait that your worst boss has had that may have been looked at as a leadership trait, but you would say this is not leading. And then I want to hear the opposite of the best boss you've had. How were they a good leader? What trait did they have to make them a good leader? A trait that probably the worst leader had was probably a a fear of looking like the bad guy, so to Mm. speak. You know, I can recall a scenario where I was kind of a new leader Mm -hmm. and had made kind of a hard decision with my team member and had cleared this with my boss ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And then that person wasn't happy with, Mm -hmm. with the decision and kind of went above me. My boss changed their opinion about what had happened. And I remember just feeling, you know, like I had, I had gotten your input ahead of time. I thought Mm -hmm. we were on the same page about this. Mm -hmm. And then you changed your mind. And now that person and the rest of my team's probably never going to come to me again or feel trust in me yeah. because you changed yeah. the decision. I felt unsupported. And, you know, I think that that person was also new in their role, subsequently probably realized that was a bad, mm-hmm. a bad decision, but I felt unsupported and I felt undermined. Maybe like I couldn't, I, you know, had lost the ability to be an effective leader mm. um, in that situation. So that was probably the okay. a really good lesson for me. Mm-hmm. And I think about that in the way that I support mm-hmm my team of leaders too, of like, Hey, don't do that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So valuable lesson in it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The trait in the best leader I've ever saw was actually a leader that was not my leader at all. It was a, for my first head coaching position and I was young and I did not know what I was doing at all. <laughs> so it was really bad looking back. I was, I was it was not my finest hour. You would not take any leadership lessons for me in that first year. I had had a volunteer assistant. His name was Chuck and he used to be the head coach at the school where I was coaching. He had started the program and he and I had met just through, you know, kind of normal alumni sort of channels. He was willing to come be a volunteer assistant. Chuck supported me and taught me so much. Mm. And he was not even my boss. I Mm -hmm. mean, I learned more from him. He was constantly teaching me, constantly giving me feedback and he did not have to. That was a really valuable lesson to me that Mm -hmm. leadership comes in all forms and it does Mm -hmm. not always have to be boss to employee. Mm -hmm. It can be peer to peer. Leaders can learn just as much from the people that they're leading. Those folks learn from their leaders. So he he probably taught me more about leadership as Mm -hmm. the volunteer assistant who reported to me than I've learned from any other leader in my life. Well, Steph, thank you so much for being with us today. I've learned so much from you and I, I see a lot of what's developed developing in me already in you. And I just, I like that. Like, I want to learn more from you <laughs> because I have a lot of those same personality traits, I think, but I haven't honed them into what they could be. And so yeah. it's nice to know that there's people out there that are looking for the strengths of others and the drive of others that are willing to take them under their wing and say, how can I get you where you want to go? So thanks so much for being with us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. 
Union Bank and Trust financial literacy materials, articles, guides, blogs, podcasts, and videos are for informational purposes only and not an advertisement for product or service. The accuracy and completeness is not guaranteed and does not constitute legal or tax advice. Please consult with your own tax, legal, and financial advisors. Member FDIC.